everyone. Welcome to the seventh episode of Drive Through FM. Today we're going to talk about a number of topics, so I hope to keep this under an hour. I'll do my best, but also try not to blow through any of these various different topics because I do want to give them a good look. And uh, frankly, I'm pretty excited to talk about all three of kind of the main topics. So I'll talk a little bit about the last couple of reviews I did on the YouTube channel. I'll talk about Shucks. 2017, which is the Shut Up and Sit Down Expo. I just got back from that, let's see, yesterday at the time of this recording, and that was in Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. Awesome time there. And then I'm going to talk about also of some friends of mine and I and 60 other people, actually more than that if you include all of the control players or the game masters, we all participated in a mega game on Saturday at the convention, and it was awesome. And it was really just a very different kind of experience uh, than anything that I've ever done gaming-wise. So I'm super excited to talk about that. And then finally, I'm going to very briefly go over my top 10 anticipated games that are coming out at Essence Spiel this year, which is just now, I think, just a couple of weeks away. So I'll kind of quickly go over those. But just kind of to catch everybody up that only listens to the podcast, I did review three different games since the last podcast and two of these were actually full playthroughs and then a third of review so this is going to be a little bit miniatures heavy but we're going to end on a euro game so i got something for everybody <laughs> so the first game that i talked about is a very little known game uh, called rumble slam it's a fantasy wrestling game and when i talk about wrestling it's kind of like wwe or old wwf wrestling but it's fantasy so there's orcs and uh, ogres and all kinds of weird different types of creatures uh, it's really really fun I love the game the miniatures that come with it are awesome they're like these different kind of resin miniatures it's not your typical resin that you think of from you know like Games Workshop or somebody else when they do their fine cast or some of the other resin miniatures that you see they're really nice miniatures uh, really easy to put together you don't really have to put them together there was like three little pieces I had to glue on a lot of them were just kind of one-shot molds and the gameplay is very, very fun. It's super silly. Uh, now, there's a lot of tactics and kind of strategy involved with kind of building your team of wrestlers. There's a lot going on. There's a ton of different teams and superstars and things that you can get. It's reasonably priced. I, it's all in pounds, but I think US dollar-wise, it's about $35 for a team. And then some of the special one-off superstars are about like 10, 12 bucks, depending on how big the model is which is more than reasonable and they're really good models. Uh, you know, it's got cool dice combat. The, all the special abilities are really awesome for all the different wrestlers. There's like different types of wrestlers, small kind of halfling gnome guys and like big like ice ogres. And there's a, just a ton of variety. There's guys that look like uh, kind of like Hulk Hogan, but they're an orc or Randy Macho Man Savage, or there's even like a Ninja Turtle looking fella. There's a couple of all women teams that are really cool looking. And I'm kind of at the point where I just want to buy like, you know, a handful, three, four, five different teams just to kind of throw in the box and have to play around with. It's really, really fun. You can only get it right now through the publisher's website, which I haven't mentioned. It's uh, TT Combat. They're mostly known for making terrain for miniature war games. Now they're coming out with another uh, skirmish game, which is kind of reminds me of Malifaux if you've played that. I haven't played it, but it looks kind of neat. Uh, but this was their kind of first real game that they made and they had a pretty successful kickstarter and i've through some of the miniature channels that i preview i got wind of it and i was like oh, okay let me check this out i checked it out it's really really fun i definitely recommend it if you 
or were ever a wrestling fan uh, at all, I would definitely take a look at this. And if, of course, you like painting miniatures and all that stuff. Uh, the next game I did a playthrough of well was of the Warhammer Underworld Shade Spire. And this is a game that I think is seems to be generating a fair bit of buzz right now. It's kind of like Dungeon Command from Wizards of the Coast, if you ever played that. Or maybe you could go as far back to the World of Warcraft miniatures game or something like that. It's miniatures with cards on a board. There's hex movement. You can build up your team. Uh, the teams right now are just pretty static. The base game comes with three Stormcast Eternals, like these big hulking knights, uh, supernatural kind of Viking knight things. And then five Blood Reavers, which are... <laughs> really these chaos cannibal you know really kind of uber mad max in a fantasy setting type of uh creatures um, and it comes with those and you can't really get any new models for it there's gonna be a couple expansions coming out uh, for like an orc team and a skeleton team but there's a lot of deck building involved you get a lot of extra cards in the base set to manage your deck and there's actually two decks that you manage and can craft you can craft an objective deck which is how you score all your points and so you can really kind of tailor your strategy and your game style based on what you decide to put in the objective deck. And then you have an action card deck, which does kind of the typical things. You can upgrade your characters. They kind of kind of level up as well uh, during the course of a battle. It's really fun, really quick and tactical. It's designed for organized play, and they seem to really be kind of uh, pushing that. Now, the organized play details haven't really come out, but uh, locally here, I've been kind of keeping my ear to the ground there's at least uh, four shops here, uh, lo local game stores, that are looking to support it. So the buzz seems to be pretty high here, and I'm seeing a lot of stuff online about it. Uh, the miniatures here, you do have to assemble them, but they're pushed to fit. You don't even actually have to glue them. And I assembled them, and, and I did use glue just because I went ahead and painted mine. Uh, and I'll show some uh, on the YouTube kind of enhanced podcast. I'll put some pictures of the painted miniatures up there. Uh, but it's super easy to push together. They're all uh, colored plastic. So there's blue and red for uh, what comes in the box. But all the expansions that they've sort of leaked and showed information for are also going to be different colors. So you don't really have to paint it. Uh, you know, you can just get, oh, I've got the skeletons. They're kind of this bone color. And then the orcs are a green color. And Stormcast is blue. So... If you're not into painting but really wanted to play kind of a cool tactical combat game, uh, the mechanics and everything are really interesting. I think there's a little bit more here than I expect meets the eye. And I've had a lot of uh, fun time playing this one uh, quite a bit. I'm really looking forward to seeing how it gets supported. And finally, the last game I reviewed in the last uh, few weeks is the new edition of London from Osprey Games. Now, this is a definitely a second edition. Uh, there are some definite changes from the original game. It's a Martin Wallace game, and he published it under uh, Tree Frog, which is his now former uh, kind of publishing house that he put out most of his games under. And it removes the board. It changes the board out for some uh, cards that are like locations that you can get. I'm not going to get too into the mechanics and stuff, but you kind of think of it like a San Juan or Race for the Galaxy, Glory to Rome. It's kind of in that vein. It's not really like any of those because you've got like loans. You've got poverty tokens that you're going to acquire when you activate your city and activate the buildings. And you've got different ways to kind of deal with that, of course, to make money, to alleviate poverty and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so it's a real simple me game mechanically at its core. You kind of draw a card, maybe draw some more cards, buy a location card, and then maybe pay for some of the cards in your hand and then activate your city. That's basically the game. 
And then you have to learn all the different abilities and the way they interact and all that stuff. But if you are familiar with the original game, I would say this is, quote unquote, a much more difficult game. Uh, in the original game, you could get your engine up to speed, especially once you played it a couple times, to not really have to worry about poverty uh, towards the end of the game. It was just kind of a, uh, you know, you get to a zero gain poverty whenever you'd activate your city. It was pretty easy to do that after a bit. This is impossible to do. So you have to really consider uh, what amount of poverty all everybody else has because it's kind of like who has the least poverty is in the clear and then everybody else will take a kind of a victory point hit at the end of the game. And loans actually affect your poverty now. Uh, the locations have more special abilities. I've actually pulled some of the special abilities off the deck of cards and put them on the main cards. So it, to me, it's a much better game and I already loved the original uh, game of London. It was in my top 20. And uh, this to me pushes it up there. And I, I, this is another one of those where you feel like you can get better at the game. If I keep playing it and playing it and playing it, I'll get to the point where I'll see improvement. I'll see a little bit more depth there in the strategies and everything. So I really recommend that. If you like those kind of card games, if you like Euro games even, you're not, let's say, you, you know, maybe you like Euro games, but you don't really like Race of the Galaxy and stuff like that. This might be one of those style of games that you should at least give a shot at uh, because it's a little bit. I don't, know, I don't know if I want to say tighter, elegant. It's just a little bit more straightforward of a design, but there's still a lot of kind of permutations and, again, room for improvement uh, as a player that you can get into with this. So that's all the games that I've covered since we last did the podcast. I've got this new room and everything I've talked about a 100 times. I think my next video or the one after that is going to be uh, kind of a breakdown of everything on my shelf and the room, and it'll be sort of... Uh, real hacky top 100 list because I'm just going to bust through all my shelves and talk about all the games that I've kept, which is around 100, I think. It's not much. I think it's a little more than that, but it's not much more than that. Uh, so I look forward to that coming up soon. Uh, but now I want to talk about the Shut Up and Sit Down Expo 2017, or Shucks for short. Had an awesome time. Uh, some friends of mine here locally, we drove over, I live over near Spokane, Washington, just outside of that on the Idaho side, and we drove across the state of Washington, and then up north through Bellingham and all that, and across the border, and the first time that I'd ever been to Vancouver, uh, the other fellas had been to Vancouver, I think once before each, and I just want to say, I felt like Vancouver was really hosting this convention. I know it was a shut up and sit down thing, and the guys there were great. And Pip, and the guys and gals, I should say, uh, Quinns, Matt, uh, Paul, and and Pip were there, kind of representing them as well as some others. And they did a fantastic job. Their crew there and all the volunteers were awesome. And the first one of the first things we did is we ran into this guy named uh, Kieran, and he was from Ireland originally. He lives in Vancouver for the last several years, and we just bumped into him. We were playing games, kind of waiting for registration to open. Uh, he played a couple of games of, let's see, Werewords with us, and we also played Azul and stuff like that. I think he actually sat down while we were playing Azul, uh, which is a really fun game, but I'll talk about more later. And then we all went up and registered, and he said, hey, let's go out and uh, kind of cruise around the town. We went to an area of town called Gastown, really pretty area, and the whole downtown area was re very pretty. It was kind of like the financial district there, and he took us to a place called Pizzeria Ludica. So this was like a pizza place, but also a board game cafe. So they just served pizza and pasta and soda and beer and all that stuff. And then they had a giant wall of board games. And I'm going to put pictures up from the convention here, uh, you know, as I'm talking on the YouTube side of this. 
uh, great place, super friendly. And, you know, we, we each got a little bit of a pizza and then we played a fun game of Raw and Karen had never played it Raw. And also my buddy Tomas, I believe, had also never played Raw as well. So that was really fun to introduce that to them. And we had a great time and Raw is always a good kind of, you know, opening game. Just if nobody knows each other, it's a great game. And Kieran was super friendly and really the whole of Vancouver, not just the people at the convention, just the whole town just seemed really friendly. Uh, and it was great. We ran into so many uh, locals there that attended the convention. I felt like, uh, you know, the majority of attendees were actually local to Vancouver, British Columbia. And man, everybody was just super fantastic, super friendly. Um, I can't really say enough about it. They did mention that they're probably going to have the convention next year. It seems most likely, actually. And it'll probably be in Vancouver as well. Uh, maybe even the same uh, hotel area or maybe somewhere else. But man, it was just awesome. There was 750 people there, I think roughly the attendees. They had like a little demo room with a lot of the Asthma Day games and some of their kind of satellite companies, uh, folks demoing games in there all weekend. There was a local uh, board game library. I think it was a combination of a local library that also does a convention at a different time of year combined with the Starlet Citadel uh, game store. And, and they were there selling games. And there was just several different really cool talks a lot of kind of game design based talks talking about you know just different elements of design and there was a really cool one by Grant Rodiak who's done like Cry Havoc I didn't get a chance to attend it but it sounded awesome where it was like design with your hair on fire and he brought like all these cool prompts and these crazy just bags of bits and folks had like an hour to sort of smash together a game in teams and there was a lot of good talks just about theme in games diversity in games uh, talking about rule books and games, I had a chance to attend the live cardboard cast. So Rich Sommer was there with, I'm trying to remember now, I think it was Rich and Paul Dean and Pip and Rodney Smith from Watch It Played were kind of on the panel there. And, you know, Rich does his kind of call-in where people call into the show live, but he had people just come up to the mic there and ask questions as if they were, and that was a lot of fun. Just lots of great activities going on, lots of places to play games. And everybody was just super friendly, very relaxed, casual atmosphere. There was some new games floating around, a nice library. There was plenty of games. Uh, you know, a lot of people brought their own games, so there was just tons of games going around. And uh, we all talked about going back next year, and we had a really good time. And I'll just talk quickly about some of the games that we played. So we played Raw, I said that. And then that first night, we also played Azul. And I've had a chance to play it uh, several times now, two and four player. Uh, it's a really cool abstract game that's coming out of Essen. I'll likely do a review. If anything trumps my kind of shelf video, it'll be that one because I'm you know really ready to do a review on that one. Uh, but just quick sneak peek, I definitely recommend it if you like a light kind of abstract. It's a little bit different of an abstract because it's not very spatially oriented. It's kind of, uh, it kind of feels more on the Euro scale. So instead of like, you know, checkers or some of those Yinch games or the... Um, Gosh, I can't remember the name of that series. Well, those two-player kind of spatial games where positioning and, and placement is so important. It's not so much in this, and that's kind of an interesting sort of twist, I guess, on an abstract. Um, and then the next one we played was Tulip Bubble from Moidius Games, and I think you can get this on the BGG shop right now, and that's it. Uh, that's a fun little game. It's a real quick economic game with kind of boom and bust cycles, and you're investing in divesting out of tulips uh, based on, I think, the 1600s, 15-1600s in what's now known as the Netherlands, and it's just a really fun little game 
kind of unassuming looking game, but it's really, really good. Had a chance to play some prototypes. I played a John Company, which I believe is coming out from Sierra Madre Games, same designer as PAX Premier. This game, probably not up my alley, but it's an awesome design. And it's, it would take me several minutes to go through the design, but each player is sort of like, sort of like investing in a single company in the the British East Indies company, and, but you're not really investing per se. You're sort of like seeding your little plants and workers and folks kind of from your family or from your your inner circle, and you you always are sort of changing positions. One person might be kind of the CEO, one might be the director of trade, one might be responsible for expeditions in trade like going into Bengal or they might be going to try to invade that and you know the sort of the state of India uh, you know growing and forming different states and in different sort of conquers that are happening there it's really really interesting there's a lot of sort of micro negotiations which is where it kind of falls apart for me but the neat thing about this is if you're into like kind of those really heavy uh, niche wonky euros um, I think a lot of those folks will get a good kick out of this because I do expect the game to actually have very, very different outcomes. Uh, I was in a position in the game where I was actually not interested in the company doing well at all. Like you don't have to have the company do well. It's all about how you can retire under with like a, a golden parachute kind of idea. It, it's a little bit more to it than that. But at the beginning of the game, I was in such a position that man, I wanted the company to fail because all the other players were starting to rake in cash out of it. And so I was positioning it in such a way that it would start to, to fail. And it did uh, at the end of the, the sixth round of the, the last round, or I guess not the very end of the sixth round, but right in there. Uh, I, I still lost, but I got, I think I did, I got second place. <laughs> so yeah, it was really interesting. Now the guy that won was the one that explained it to us and he was a play tester and had played it like, you know, eight, nine, 10 times or something like that. Uh, but I recommend folks take a look at it really cool it took us about three hours i want to say after the rules uh, so it's not too long you know for a heavy euro uh, but it's really interesting and neat it's just I, you know my group here that i play with uh, you know i just don't think it would fly that well but it's a really wonky and interesting design uh, the other prototype i played was a grant rodick prototype called acropolis i don't want to talk too much about it i did like it in case grant's listening um, but it's kind of like in that sort of final stages, like whatever we played probably wouldn't be the end product. But if he ever comes out with a game that's based on this, uh, there was some talk about, you know, retheming it. Cause like I said, it's still sort of early. It was kind of a Greek theme. Uh, but I also kind of played out like a stock game where you're sort of investing in these various different, uh, gods in the Greek pantheon and he has, uh, like followers and worshipers and all that kind of stuff. Really cool, interesting mechanic with lots of trading which you don't see a game uh, too much these days with just kind of open trading and negotiation. That's, these two games, John Company and Acropolis, had kind of interesting twists on how you negotiate and you know kind of make promises and actually how you trade and how the resources work. There were very, very nice twists on that. So I'd like to see uh, both of these kind of have the light of day. But I don't want to talk too much about Acropolis because, like I said, I, I might be saying something that doesn't actually end up existing. But I did like that game. Uh, let's see a couple other new games we played. The Expanse. I only had a chance to play this once at four player. Really fun. I liked it. I think if you weren't a fan of The Expanse, it might not be a big hit for you, but it's hard to read. 
Uh, it's kind of dry on the dry side. And this little thematic nooks and crannies, though, are really cool as somebody that's just watched the TV show. Uh, it's basically like multiplayer Twilight Struggle smashed with the coin games like Andy and Abyss and Cuba Libre. So you have like a row of cards up that a player can select and they can do it for the action points like in Twilight Struggle. Or they can do it for the event. Now you can only do the event if it aligns with your faction. So if you're the OPA faction or the Mars faction, you can do the event if you've got the little icon there. But let's say the Earth faction takes the card for action points then based on this kind of initiative track, one of those factions that's labeled on the event can take it. So you do the action points of the events, but maybe you trigger somebody else taking the event. And it's just a kind of an area control game. You move ships around, you put little influence cubes out, and then you score uh, points every so often. There's scorecards that'll come out of the deck, just like Twilight Struggle. And that becomes one of the cards that you can pick and choose to score. And then you'll kind of secretly choose one region to score uh, not double, but a lot better than the other regions. And then, but once you kind of do that twice for a region, then you can no longer do it double. So it's got a cool kind of arc in terms of like where the important uh, little provinces or, or space systems are in play. That's really cool. And the other neat thing about this is that you can spend a victory point because your currency is your points in this game. You can spend that to, instead of playing the event, actually keep it and put it in front of you. So then you can play it when it comes to your turn. Instead of choosing a card, you can play one of the cards in front of you. And so you can see, this is a really good event. It's not going to do much to change the state of the game now, but I'm going to invest a, a victory point and keep it for either doing like right before the scoring happens, because when scoring triggers, everybody gets kind of one action to sort of shift everything. And, you know, so there's a kind of a lot going on. Now, I do want to try it two-player, because I think it won't be as, well... I almost hate to say this, it's obviously not going to be as swingy because it's going to be back and forth. Uh, not that the four player I felt like was super volatile, but I just want to try it, you know, with two players. So just to see that kind of back and forth, a little bit of that zero sum kind of tug of war area control stuff. I think it will work well with that. Um, but I was talking to a buddy there on Facebook and he said he tried it with two, hadn't tried it before yet. And he felt like four player would actually be more interesting. Yeah, so we'll see. I'll definitely get some more plays of that one and do a review. Also played a little game from Plat Hat Games coming out, I think, now or at Essen. Uh, it's called Crossfire. And that is in the Spectre Ops universe. And it's a social deduction game. Think, you know, One Night Ultimate Werewolf Resistance kind of thing. It only takes three minutes. It literally takes three minutes to play. You kind of deal out these different roles. You've got one person that's the VIP. They don't want to get shot. The assassins want to shoot them. There's all kinds of different roles that are kind of permeate around that. You'll have like an innocent bystander, a bomber that if you, nobody shoots the bomber, then the bomber's the only one that wins, that kind of stuff. So there's a ton of different roles. Uh, you shuffle the cards up, deal them out, and then you kind of do kind of like a draft. You pass cards for a little bit around and then shuffle them up a little bit more. So you have some information about who may or may not have what, and you can kind of speak to the players to your left and right what one of them might have and then of course they can do the same to you and there's a three minute timer there's a three minute uh, sand timer and then once the three minutes is up then you have to choose there's no like that three minutes is all discussion everybody drafts or passes cards looks at the cards throw the timer at the end of the three minutes you point really fun really quick again it literally takes three minutes i wouldn't say it like super changes the game or anything but it's kind of like a one-nighter or a resistance that you could play at a pub or it's like a filler version. You don't need the full, 
you know, 10 minutes. If you had a really quick, uh, you know, timer, like, oh, let's do crossfire with a couple games of that, you know, Billy's going to arrive in about 10 minutes. Let's just do that real quick. But it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, the next, let's see, the next new game that I liked <laughs> that I played was number nine. Now, it's not spelled numbers correctly. It's N-U-M-B-R, I think. I think that's right. It's it's just it's a misspelling of number and then the letter nine as all kind of concatenated uh, letters and numbers there. Uh, spatial game. It's kind of like Karuba. Well, somebody will flip a card and then like okay, let's say you flip the nine and you get the number nine tile and you put it down, and then you flip the eight, and everybody is choosing the same number out of the same stack, but you're all arranging it in different ways. And you kind of there's some rules about how you can place it and how you can stack them. But you want the bigger numbers on the top level, if you can, because you're multiplying the number by the level it's on. So the first level is level zero, the second level is level one. So if there's a nine on the bottom on the table, it's worth zero. But if there's a nine on kind of the third level up where you would get a multiplier of two, so it'd be worth 18 points. So that's pretty cool. It's a nice kind of interesting, quick, abstract, spatial game. Takes like, you know, 10 minutes or so to play. Really fun though from Z-Man. Uh, and then, unfortunately, we're going to get into two games that I did not care for. And just to be upfront about it, the first one I played about maybe half a game, a little bit more than that, I guess. And then the second game, we did finish out the full game. Uh, the first one's Ex Libris from Renegade. And uh, Adam McIver, who's been kind of a friend of the show and helped out with my promos and has done a lot of other great games, I did not care for this one. Uh, this was a lot of varying changes you're trying to stack these books and alphabetize books and it has like all these worker placement tiles that are going to get uh, kind of redealt every round and you're you, you have new worker placement spots come out and special workers and it's just kind of a real kind of a mishmash of different mechanics like one tile will be like let's do an auction and this one is you can trade cards with this tile and this one is you can shift the tiles around or maybe you have a special character that you can do it and for a while, I was like, literally, I, a lot of times it, for me, it was like, well, I'll just play this card in front of my hand. Uh, I'll draw a card. And then maybe somebody else will do this other thing. And then you'll mix up, like, which books in your little book cards will score. Yeah, the game is gorgeous. It's awesome looking. But just really, like, all four of us at the table were, you know, we were probably maybe about halfway, just, just over halfway done. And then we're like, yeah, let's just stop. <laughs> So anyway, that's unfortunate, but that's Ex Libris. And then the next game, I think this is by the designer of The Resistance, was called Abandoned Planet. And this was a Kickstarter, and it was brought, and we read the rules, and we played, and it was kind of fun, but we're about 90% sure that the game's about twice as long as it needs to be, and the game will end relatively the same way. Now, it was fun. We had a lot of laughter. But I don't really see myself replaying this ever. Maybe one time down the road. Oh, I don't know. No, there's a thousand board games out there that I'd rather play. But yeah, I would not recommend it. It's kind of a sort of a pseudo, um, not a semi-co-op, but you have kind of shifting team dynamics where you're trying to escape a planet that's being bombarded with meteors and you're collecting resources and sending your kind of little worker spaceship out to get different types of resources and everybody's trying to get a certain configuration, but you can do it, you can share it. So you can't share with left and right of you, but you can share across the table. And if he's got three like metal and I've got the two food or whatever the resources are, then we can jump off and go uh, collectively and leave. 
Uh, but there's ways that you can kind of sort of attack and screw other players. And, yeah, I don't know. It just, I didn't like it at all. That's all I got to tell you. <laughs> if you want more details, you can post a comment and I'll reply for sure. Uh, so those are the two I didn't like. And then we also played a couple of games uh, that I played at the bunch already. Red 7, Werewords, probably Werewords is the thing we played the most. Uh, automobiles, and then Seven Wonders Duel, I got a game of that in. Uh, so that was fun. So it was a good time. Uh, definitely a great atmosphere, great location in a great city. Everybody was super friendly. Uh, just a, a blast and uh, definitely something I would recommend folks go to if they can get to uh, this side of the country or this side of Canada. Um, I definitely had a good time doing that. Now on Saturday, I spent the entire day playing a mega game. with what a mega game is I'll put a link to the video that the shut up and sit down folks did a few years ago I think maybe even three years ago at this point uh, they did one over in London in the UK uh, called watch the skies and that's the one that we did on Saturday now there was two other mega games on Friday and one on Sunday uh, that were differently themed I think one was kind of Atlantis and kind of the Greek I don't know empire crumbling and then on Sunday it was sort of like these different tribes that were basically cavemen and stuff like that. So the one that we did was uh, alien invasion, basically. So myself and two of my friends and then two other fellows that we hadn't met uh, until the day before, we went out to lunch and had some amazing uh, Chinese food that uh, Casey was, uh, and Casey was our UN ambassador. He was more than kind to order everything for us and he paid for the whole thing and we never met him before and we had a great chat about you know how we wanted to try to approach the game again everybody in vancouver is just super super friendly and uh, and casey and sebastian were the two other players that we played with and we had a great time there we kind of prepped and schemed a little bit just to kind of talk about our approach uh and we were all playing as germany and i was uh, had the fortunate slash unfortunate job of being the head of state of germany and so i wore like an all black suit like a black slacks and a black uh, sheet t-shirt with a little German pen on it. I know, super creative cosplay, right? But that was, the, that was the only thing I could come up with. We didn't know we were in Germany until maybe a week before, and I couldn't think of anything that wouldn't be like really stereotypical or you know borderline racist or something to, uh, to throw on. So I kind of went with my Saturday Night Live uh, Michael Myers skit <laughs> approach. And so we all kind of wore black shirts, some of us did, and then... Uh, we played Germany, and so we had everybody. Every nation had a table that they had some, you know, little player aids, and you got poker chips every round to kind of manage your resources. And I think there was nine other countries. So right immediately surrounding us was let's see, Russia and China, and France, and the UK, and then the US was kind of just a little bit out. And then there were some other places that were on the other side of the room that we could, I didn't really have too much interaction with. Uh, like Brazil was just over there too. And so each group had five players and they were sort of managing kind of uh, sort of given goals to start the game off. So like we wanted uh, nuclear disarmament. We definitely wanted our nukes or the USA's nukes out of Germany. Uh, we wanted kind of a unified Europe by the end of the game. This kind of gave you stuff to sort of get started and get moving with. And different teams had different kind of autopsy reports of different aliens that had been kidnapped or not kidnapped, but they've sort of captured and found since like the 1950s. So you had some information there 
And one thing that we had that was sort of unique to us was there was a weird sort of growth organism type of thing happening in the Bavarian forest uh, in Germany. So we had to sort of, you know, send our science guy off to in, in investigate that and when he would do his little science mini game and so on. But there were other players. There was actually two teams of aliens, which we didn't really know at first. We thought maybe there was three teams. Well, I guess there was three teams, but I'm getting ahead of myself. But there was a couple teams of aliens. There was three teams of press. So they had like uh, three groups. And then I think there was just two people on each team uh, sitting at like laptops, actually creating newspapers, uh, just little three-page things, you know, kind of like designed in Word or Adobe or something like that. And so newspapers would come out every round and they would report on, you know, they would come and interview. Like a lot of my time was spent uh, dealing with the press and stuff. And then there was also some corporations who actually turned out to be alien plants. At least one of the corporations uh, was an alien plant. Uh, so there was all that going on. And then there was what's called control, which is basically the game master. And there was human control, alien control, and then control for like the war table and for the press and all this stuff. So there's no real sort of linear arc. And that's actually my one problem with the, with what we played. But I don't want to get to the negative right now. So everybody's kind of dunked in the tank. And you have sort of different relationships with different countries right off the bat. You have uh, you know some knowledge of the aliens. You're not really even sure what they look like. Uh, in this case, the alien teams did awesome cosplay. They had like black robes with stabs, some of them, and then the other ones were wearing like these uh, medical masks with like these these little like uh, like uh, antenna type of things and stuff like that. And they had this weird you know makeup on and stuff like that too. Uh, so we just kind of dunk you in the tank, and you just kind of role play it through. A lot of it is role playing, and a lot of it is kind of resource management. So every turn. Like we would get credits and I would get poker chips. I'd get a little sealed bag. I'd get that. I might get some notes in the bag, maybe from the aliens, uh, maybe some other things. And it would have like a little sort of mini spreadsheet of like, here's all the things that affected your income. I think we started out with a nine income of nine and we went down to eight at one point and then we're up to 11 by the end of the game and different things will kind of affect your actions. And so me as the head of state, I would have to dole this out. And so the science officer would come to me and say, hey, I need to research science stuff. So I'd give them some resources, some poker chips. And then uh, the head of the military would come and he would, he would give me chips. And these folks would go over to a completely other different table at the other side of the room. And then there was like a big board with military and troop movements. And he would look at that. And I wasn't allowed to go over there. I couldn't go over there. And I was not allowed to go over to the science area. And the science guy had like this giant uh, folder, this dossier of all this kind of tech tree stuff and different technologies that we could use for different things. And that would give me cards that I could give to the military guy or that I could use myself and get different things and build things quicker. And then we had the UN ambassador who would go, he spent all his time over there at the UN building. He would come and kind of commiserate with me, ask how do we approach something. And, you know, and I would kind of relay what I knew of what was going on in science and military and how that might affect some negotiation that's going on with him. And I would give him credits to sort of tamp down uh, crises and sort of contribute into uh, maybe different funds. So you could kind of gain and lose income based on your reaction to, uh, you know, different events that would come up. <laughs> but as the head of state, like you're just not told everything. And so it's like I knew a little bit of 
everything going on and like absolutely nothing about most of what was going on because I didn't know like a lot of the details. And these are timed rounds and there's a lot of negotiation and talking and, and role playing and stuff like that involved. And it was really cool. Like it was at the beginning for sure, it was a good kind of frustration. I mean, just as an example, like very early on in the game, uh, China was sitting right there and the gal that was the uh, Chinese uh, prime minister, she just accosted me and said, so what's the deal? Why do you need to own uh, Southeast Asia? Because we had a little territory in Southeast Asia and they had kind of a, a goal to get it back. And I and I just knew that we had like, you know, some territories and we had a base in Antarctica, which I was confident that there was some alien biz, funny business going on. And there was because uh, it's in Antarctica. So obviously. But she came up to me, just like stopped me as I was talking to somebody else. She's like, so you need to give us this back, like super demanding. And I was like, this is great because I just got my, you know, just totally ambushed, you know, by, by her. And so, and then I kind of like, I was like, oh, I don't, I don't even know why we have it. <laughs> like just, the paper just said, and I was like, wait a minute, don't, don't be like that. So I said, okay, well, yeah, I mean, we've just had it, you know, for uh, for a while now, and we're really concerned with the sovereignty of the people. So you immediately kind of kick into, you know, role play mode. And that was a nice kind of interaction. And eventually we kind of came together um, through some other different things. And so we ended up kind of giving them that back to them and allowing them to kind of have troop movements there and do some investigation there. And we kind of ceded that over to them. And that was kind of a, you know, a, a critical sort of point that was, you know, sort of used as leverage, uh, but not too much. And then it was just kind of coming together because eventually our science teams came together to solve a penicillin crisis. And so we kind of kind of wrapped all that up into one. And then like another example of an ambush, and I totally felt like my pants were just down. Uh, there was a gal from the press who uh, came up and she said, so tell me about the reports of uh, high cancer rates in the Black Forest, in the Bavarian Forest. And I, and I, I was like, what are you talking about? Because we had no, uh, you know, no notion of that. Now I knew about this sort of alien growth where there was like, uh, you know, trees were growing really fast. That was the only thing that my dossier said. And then I, but she was like, no, you need to tell me what was she, you know, like, how come you don't know about this? <laughs> You're the head of state. You need to know about this. And I'm like, yes, uh, yes. Our science officer is working on it right now. And then, oh, here he is here. Come. So tell her, what have you found about the, uh, what's going on in the Bavarian forest? He's, and then he's like, well, we're researching that right now. We're going to get back to you. Da, da, da. You know, it was this really cool moment. Cause I felt like, you know, one of these presidents or something that was at a press conference and just got asked a question that they did not expect or they were not prepared uh, to answer. So that was a really fun moment there. So those are just kind of a couple examples of what was going on, you know, early in the game. So as you play the game, you start to get more information. Uh, we actually had a joint uh, soccer event uh, between the nations of Europe, which was Germany, France, and the UK and Brazil. Now, lo and behold, that was all, of course, a ruse. I mean, I kind of knew it was uh, because we had uh, allied with the other uh, European nations because that was our goal. And we figured, you know, hey, because when you ally, you can also like trade easier. It costs less to trade uh, technologies and things. And so we did that. And then we got kind of pulled into this. And so when I went to attend the soccer match and all the heads of state went, and so the Brazilian heads of state were there. And then lo and behold, the two different alien races had sent like emissaries there. And the funny thing was like one of them couldn't speak 
and the other one could and I actually shook his hand and then by the time I got back to my table there was a note that hey you were actually uh, there was actually an attempted kidnapping <laughs> and but you got away obviously because uh, I did see somebody get kidnapped later and, they, and one of the controls would come and say hey you're kidnapped you're coming with me and they would go out into the hallway into this other room where there was like an alien stuff going on and they had like their own alien board and stuff in there like a view of the earth uh, kind of like a military map but from their perspective and so I got that and then I had to kind of investigate okay well which alien was it you know which alien race was it there was the Nereans and then the Voldari or Volsaya Volsaya that was it and so I had to figure out, you know, who was it? And so we were trying to figure out which was the friendly alien race and who was the enemy one. And were they both friendly? Were they both enemies? You know, that kind of thing. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff happening. And so you would get these clues and things. And, uh, and you, know, you have to figure out how to spend your resources because we wanted to spend a lot of resources in science. That's kind of what you want to do. But then these little like uprisings and riots and things would happen. And, you know, you need to spend money to sort of do joint military operations or do investigations and shoot down flying saucers. But, you know, those all had repercussions. If you shot down a flying saucer, the aliens, of course, were not very pleased with you. And there was all these, like, deals and backstabbing kind of things that could happen. Uh, you know, like, Russia was super shady the whole game. And so was the U.S. Well, it turns out the U.S. was not super shady. But our, the British player, who we were allied with, they were actually super shady. Uh, they had an alien base in their country, but they didn't want anybody to know about that. And part of the sort of the plot baked, baked into the game is the general populace doesn't know about uh, the aliens. And there's kind of this global terror level as you know, rumors start to come out and then the aliens are actually announced and then there's kind of like little wars that are gonna spring up possibly. If the global terror track ever gets to 250, uh, then everybody loses and that kind of felt like just kind of a, a gimmicky mechanic because I felt like that no matter what they did it wasn't going to happen unless the players really wanted to do it um, so that was interesting and maybe just kind of a way to keep players kind of on track and saying like turn one okay I nuke Russia I nuke, nuke the United States you know something dumb like that uh, but we got it close we were like at 238 or something and then it sort of tamped down um, but then like halfway maybe more than halfway through the game Actually, the shut up and sit down team, uh, Quinn's Matt, Pep, and Paul came and they were dressed in these like <laughs> ridiculous outfits. I tried to get a picture on YouTube, you'll see a picture. They were wearing like these red feather hats and boas and stuff. And they showed up as the arbiters who were uh, trying to decide which of the alien races would be allowed to stay on Earth and quote unquote conquer Earth. And we were like, humans were like, well, uh, okay. And, you know, and so then we had to sort of elect, but we didn't know this was happening. This is all prior to this. We didn't know we were electing one uh, representative from each of the groups. So one head of state, one deputy head of state, one science officer, one military officer, one UN officer. And those five people eventually had to get up and speak in front of the arbiters to say, hey, which side of the uh, aliens would you you know prefer to have on the planet? Well, this is where things kind of started to break down because actually our guy from Germany was elected to go to this, but from our perspective, we were elected just to go up to uh, the alien spacecraft or something, but we had no idea why. We were gonna get some kind of information or something out of them. Uh, but then it was, all, it was all in front of everybody. It was kind of like broadcast live around the world. And then we had to sort of talk about who we would choose. Well, the game had been written in such a way that we should end up choosing 
the Nereans, but it, that didn't never worked out. So actually it ended up, everybody was choosing the Volsaya, which was kind of strange because there was, after that point, there was not really any tension left in the game. Cause like, yeah, well the Volsaya have been the only ones as far as we know that have been friendly. But then like rumors coming out that they actually were poisoning the water supply. They were the ones that actually destroyed all the penicillin, uh, different things like that. So it kind of started to break down there. And like from, from our team, the guy that went up there, he had no idea what he was even going to be doing and why he should be doing it. You know, the other folks had all been backing Vosaya as they were meant to because they had having a special interaction with them. But from our perspective, I don't know, somebody had written in there that all of our alien messages were to get intercepted because there was a way for the head of state to send messages to the aliens. And there was nobody else really knew that. Now my deputy head of state knew it because I would actually send him up to drop him in the box because uh, I was kind of suspicious that he was actually a traitor because you could have a traitor on the team. Uh, but I, nobody was in this game, but you just had the threat of that. Uh, and I was sure that no, they he wasn't actually delivering the messages because I for the longest time I never got a response back. Well, somebody had written in that they were, they were they were intercepting the messages, so it was a complete waste of time. And then when we got up there, there was no we had like no interaction with the aliens directly until you know after this whole event happened. And then and then all the other European nations were coming up to us like, why did you guys go for Volsaya? Why did you say that? We're like. Well, it seemed like they're the only ones that were friendly and all this stuff. And I was pretty sure the other ones tried to kidnap me. So it's this big confusing thing. And like the whole thing with the, the whole thing that was going on in the Bavarian forest, our guy kept trying to research that and kept coming up empty, like the entire game. By the end, time, the end of the game, there was nothing that came out of that. It just seemed like, God, that was just a waste of time. We spent so much time doing that, which, you know, flip a coin that's fine, you know, it's a role-playing game, so failure and, you know, things not working out, that's part of it, and you gotta have to adjust to that. Uh, you know, so, and there was one point where I stole away into the French embassy to, uh, to, to join and talk with them, and then I actually sort of, quote-unquote, tricked them, and they brought, this is the Nereans, I brought the, allowed them to bring a flying saucer over Germany, and they were going to build a base, and then I had a card that would kidnap one, so I, they lured them to my country, and then I kidnapped them, and that didn't really fly with them, and they were kind of upset. I mean, in a role-playing sense, not really. And, you know, so we kidnapped them, and then we started to learn a little bit about them, and then the game is kind of ended and like all of Brazil was going to outer space to Mars and da da da. And so it all just kind of fizzled out at the end. Like there was, it wasn't really like heading to a conclusion. And I thought it was, they were trying to, to drop hints that the actual, the arbiters, arbiters, the shut up and sit down guys in this case, were the evil ones. It was kind of like a Wizard of Oz scenario. They were sort of pulling the strings of these other two, but they had no real power themselves. And, you know, we, we we were supposed to, or maybe that was the idea of the game, we were supposed to kind of get them to align with us and then overthrow the Arbiters or something. Because we had a rogue operative from Germany that was spun off very early in the game. And he was leaving a lot of these notes and stuff here. And so he would leave like little red feathers and stuff. And I started to think, oh, oh, this is the real enemy and stuff like that. And so I tried to work out with the Nereans to... Uh, hey, let's all get together and overthrow them. And that that, that kind of took hold, but then it just sort of fizzled out. And I don't know why. Maybe t somebody told them that we couldn't do that. So it was really weird because you, you come up with these ideas of like, let's do this. This kind of makes sense. Look, I've got these clues and this let's piece that together. And then you'd hear, and that, but it wouldn't, nothing would ever come of it. 
And then you'd hear these other like really wacky ideas like this one guy in one of the press teams, he just kept like writing bad press about China and uh, China's income, they, their economy totally collapsed by the end of the game. Uh, and mostly due to this just one dude from what I could see. And I'm, again, I don't know every last detail, but this one dude was just constantly writing bad press about China. And so when you got bad press, that would kind of drop kind of the, your PR level, which could affect your income. Now you could spend money on that, but you could also work with the press to to uh, to get that going. So one of the cool things that I that I well, this sounds kind of this coming out wrong, but one of the cool things that I did, I thought, and we all kind of came together collectively. It's not just like my idea, but uh, so I pulled one of the the press gals, the first one that come and accosted me about the cancer stuff earlier in the day. I said, look, this is the thing. The arbiters are actually the enemy. They're the ones. They're kind of pulling the strings. The other guys don't. They don't feel like they can fight back. We feel like they should be uh, investigated more. So she ran a little article in the press about, you know, what's the real face of the arbiters. And I'll throw, I'll throw up some pictures here of some of the newspaper things. And there's like a real suspicious looking picture of Quinn's and stuff like that. So we kind of started to spin up this story. And that was really cool. Like I could kind of use her to, uh, you know, kind of get my information out into the press. And then we, we worked with her as well, uh, myself and China, to talk about coming together with a joint... Um, you know, a solution for the penicillin problem because China was taking a hit in PR and then they started to kind of drag us into it and say, hey, we're not getting along with China and stuff. And so I said, that's bullcrap. You know, like we've been actually starting to work together really well. We're even allied with them now. And so we made kind of a, a joint statement, even though, you know, quote unquote, technically our science guy had done the actual work on the penicillin. He had been next to the China, the Chinese gal who was doing the science. So we said, okay, we'll just let them both take credit. You know, we kind of all worked that out together. So we'll do a joint press conference talking about the penicillin and that'll kind of help the global terror. And that'll kind of combat the story about, um, you know, China kind of being uh, evil and Germany and China, they don't get along and they're coming to blows over Southeast Asia. So all that, all those kind of threads and stuff were wrapped up in that press conference. It was really cool because they got in front they got the mic and they talked about it. Everybody's like, yay. They were just worried about the penicillin. Meanwhile, we're, as heads of state, more motivated by the PR that's going to happen. So that was really neat. So it's a lot of really awesome little things like that you can kind of work in and, you know, all kind of tied towards managing the terror level and the resources and all that stuff. Um, I kept waiting kind of for the punchline or the twist at the end to say, oh, because I was thinking it was the arbiters, we we should have all united against the arbiters or something, um, but like nothing came of that, and our rogue agent just ended up like stirring up trouble and then disappearing, and just dropping like annoying notes that weren't even true, and somebody was intercepting my notes to the aliens, because I put in the paper that hey the aliens like never talked to me like ever. This was really weird. And because I, you know, we had like some, we, I actually got to the point where I had these little stickers that I would put on my note and it was marked as an encrypted communication to the alien because we'd got that technology. But once that happened, then I like went to nothing and then he stopped replying and I actually talked to one of the alien people sort of out of game. And she said, it's just crazy in there because we're just dealing with so many countries and it's just the two alien groups and stuff like that. And then plus somebody had actually been intercepting our messages and like they weren't getting them. And it turned out to be one of the control people and i'm like that's dumb <laughs> like who whoa dude stay out of my game because we're already like working you know there's already like 60 different dms kind of you know the 60 players 
And so we're driving our story. So there was just like, I don't know, it was really hard for me to gauge because it felt like we would do some things and they would say yes to some stuff, no to some stuff. And then some of the normal sort of mechanics that I expected to quote unquote work were being thwarted, but not by another player. Because I learned about the message intercept kind of towards the end, so it was too late. But I'm like, oh, well, must have been Russia or something do it. Because they had a, a technology called space ventriloquism, which there was a big hullabaloo out, like, how come they have access to this? What is that? And that technology turned out to be nothing, like it was a fake technology. And I'm like, what's the point of that? <laughs> like, why do you have a fake technology just to throw us off? And that was the kind of my problem with it. it was like all these sort of red herrings, like, no, no, like keep everything in context, like have a beginning, middle and end, you know, draw us through it. Like you think about it from a DM perspective, if you're doing Dungeons and Dragons, the DM's getting you from the tavern to the forest, to the cave, to kill the wizard or whatever. That's the thrust of the, the path, right? You, you try to get into that, you know, you might have some other things and then all the permutations and the idiosyncrasies and all that stuff, that's all going to happen to the characters. Like the characters will have, that's where all the growth and the meat of it is, but you're just riding on that sort of rail car of that normal thread of a plot. You know, and I know there's different schools of thought on that. You know, maybe it's more like a, I don't know what the role-playing game is, but there's some of those that are a lot more open-ended where everybody's a DM kind of thing and everybody's just telling their stories. And that's cool. And I know people like that. So a lot of people maybe thought that was okay. Um, but I mean, everybody on my team and everybody that I talked to, and I even talked to some of the, uh, some of the guys that were in control and they thought, yeah, that was kind of a problem. And you know, the other mega games that happened, that was also kind of an issue. It was just like random stuff would happen that didn't make any sense. And they were just kind of coming up with stuff. So my review of mega games is six hours of like the best gaming experience of my life. Just about, I mean, right up there with the top things I've ever done related to any kind of gaming followed by about two and a half, three hours of like, what the frick <laughs> is even happening? Like, what was the point of this entire day? So if I had to give it like a rating of out of 10, honestly, it should be an eight, but I want to give it a seven because I want that to be fixed. And I don't know that this is indicative of every mega game. I think maybe they were trying some new stuff or something, which is neat. Like, I don't feel like I wasted my time or my money or anything like that at all. I would totally go back and play it all again. I loved all the interactions uh, with all the different countries. I mean, the guys that played USA were, were great. The guys that played Brazil and India were great. All the European nations were great. All the different personalities and mixing with people. That was like, you can't really put a price on that. Lots of fun uh, doing that. Uh, but to me, that first six hours, 10 out of 10, no question, awesome, great. It's just that deflation at the end because it's because that first six hours is so awesome. It's like, this is great. I, I can't believe I'm doing this. You know, like I love it. And, um, and you know, I was just like thankful that I was doing it. It's so awesome. Just like the interaction and like just the way that you can spend your free time and, uh, and deal with that. It's really cool. Like, is this something I don't get to do enough of? Um, but yeah, so that's why it's kind of like seven out of 10. It's really a probably eight out of 10, but that just that dip at the end was nutty it was just like ah this is so close to just being perfect you know and that's why that's why it's kind of a letdown because the first half was so so good all right so that's the mega game i uh, definitely recommend it definitely the folks over in seattle that's uh that's who did it the seattle mega game society fantastic job i mean this is kind of i think this is a very new frontier in gaming i could really see like a kit kind of come out of this 
where you have a lot of different options and scenarios. Like one thing we kicked around that was really cool, then I'm going to stop talking about it, is what if all the heads of state were all aliens? And so that could be like one little wrinkle you throw out, and then you have kind of a, a, a couple different ways that can go. Or what if all the science guys were aliens? And, you know, we kind of sort of had that, but that's an, I don't want to get too more details. But, yeah, you could do these little things and build like a booklet of stuff and a toolkit and have the cards and, and all the poker chips and the way that the resources work and give some parameters and sell it as a box, man. And then people could take and run it, and you could do cool stuff with it or just sell it as a book, you know, and, and really refine and hone it down and then let those kind of DMs kind of play with it. And I think it's a great great experience because it kind of mixes a lot of role playing a little bit of kind of board gaming some of that kind of uh diplomacy negotiation stuff that happens uh but with a heavy heavy hand in the role playing side of it just fantastic and i'm i mean this was like the main reason i went to the con because ever since i watched that video uh from shut up and sit down i was like holy shit (laughs) i'm sorry to curse but i mean sometimes you have to holy shit, I have to do this in my life. And now I did. So I'm, I'm so thankful for that. Anyway, so I'm done talking about the mega game. Do one. You won't regret it. Okay, so that is a mega game talk. And now I'm going to quickly... And hopefully succinctly and with enough information to get you interested, talk about my top 10 games from Essen that I am anticipating. So I'm going to be quick because I'm already going over slightly an hour here based on my timer. Uh, Number 10 is Merlin, and this is coming out from Queen Games. It's a Steffenfeld game. Uh, This has made the list, frankly, because the name Steffenfeld is on it. And I have not played a new Steffenfeld for a couple of years, I think. And it looks gorgeous, know zero about the mechanics, and I'm not going to apologize for putting that on my top 10 list because I I love Feld games. I don't know what it is. I mean, a lot of people love his games. You know, he fits in a certain kind of Euro, and he does it close to the best. It's just plain old mechanics and crunching points, and that's a fun time. And they're usually relatively accessible, if not slightly obtuse mechanically to get into your first game but after that it usually become really interesting and fun and and uh kind of in your face a little bit but not too much and the next game is a coaster park and i did not write down the publisher but go look up coaster park on uh, bgg now i believe this is designed by scott alms who does the tiny epic games this is not anything like those it you build these little three-dimensional roller coaster tracks and you roll these marbles down so it's kind of like you know when you set up dominoes and you flick them and then they kind of you know they go in different designs and you try to set it up in such a way that they all fall down in a nice pleasant way this looks like that except you know you set up the roller coaster you put the marble down and it has to make it all the way through and kind of jump the tracks and stuff like that i don't know looks <laughs> really cool so i just want it because of those components and you know you don't really see stuff like that usually uh, number eight, that was number nine, Coaster Park. Uh, number eight is The Fox in the Forest. This is from Renegade Games. This has had some copies out, but I believe it's going to be more readily available come around Essen time. And it's a two-player trick-taking game, which kind of that's all I really needed to hear. Uh, it's a Renegade game, so it looks gorgeous. They always Their stuff always looks gorgeous. And uh, it's got some sort of different ways you can take tricks and then kind of really manipulate the tricks, obviously, so that the two-player works. 
Uh, but I'm really excited for that because I like trick-taking games with funky powers. And hey, this is trying to do something different and work with two players. Um, you know, Haggis is a really good game. That's a two-player trick-taking game as well as Chimera. Now, those aren't trick-taking games, though. Those are ladder-climbing games, but, you know, same ballpark. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So, that's number eight, Fox in the Forest. Now, number seven is Keeper, and that's K-E-Y-P-E-R. And this is uh, from uh, R&D Games. It's designed by Richard Breeze, and it's the next in kind of the key line. Um, this one looks really neat. I've liked, I think, most of the key games. Uh, I know the last one he did was a pretty big hit. This looks kind of in that same vein where you have like kind of these different colored workers that you can kind of like piggyback and activate in different ways. So you do like a worker placement and then you can do worker placement in the same spot and that's going to trigger stuff and then lay the workers down in the spot and that's going to trigger more. And then it has like these folding boards which look awesome where you can take and fold boards in different ways based on the different season. So it's going to kind of change I think over the course of the game or maybe you know like you there's like two phases or something summer and winter uh it just looks really neat it's again a, you know richard Bree stuff those key games it's got that certain sort of signature kind of like seffenfeld where it's like yeah kind of i usually like your game so i'm gonna take a look at that one really really funky and interesting uh looking design and that's number seven keeper again k-e-y-p-e-r and then number six is tokyo highway and i don't know if this is going to be readily available it's a 3D kind of puzzle game where you're building these columns and then freeways or highways and then placing your colored cars down and sort of scoring points based on how they intersect with everybody else's. So it looks really cool once you're all done, uh, you know, doing columns and tracks and things and, and uh, all the cars are running into each other and you score points, again, based on sort of how you put them out. So it looks like a pretty simple sort of abstract game with a kind of a neat theme of just crazy freeways. And I like freeways because I was born in L.A. and I like driving on the freeway. There's, there's a reason it's called drive through review. Anyway, um, so yeah, Tokyo Highway looks really cool. I like masses of cars. I know that's terrible for the environment, but I, I like looking at them, and especially at night. But anyway, so that's kind of a reason I really like that. And it looks like a fun little sort of simple abstract that you could play with the family or maybe as a filler too. Uh, really cool looking game. Uh, that's number six, Tokyo Highway. Number five is Alien Artifacts. This is coming out from Portal Games, and it looks to be in the vein of Imperial Settlers or 51st State. Now, it's not designed by Ignasi, uh, but you have kind of a dual-use uh, cards where you can develop these cards as uh, like planets and technology. It's kind of a 4X card game where you can either use the card as its logistics side or as like its real side. So actually as a ship or as a planet instead of a, an actual kind of ability. So you have some kind of resources you spend and then you got these different kind of multi-use resource cards which kind of act like uh, the upfront deck if you ever played the upfront game which is from the 80s and nobody's played but they had this thing where you'd flip cards off the top of the deck and that would sort of modify combat which I don't know that just kind of tickles me. Uh, so that looks really cool, and I actually have it. I haven't played it yet, so I can still say I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> but I did read the rules, and it does look really neat, so that will probably be something I review shortly, hopefully. That's number five, Alien Artifacts. Number four is called Wartime, the, batter, the Battle excuse me, of Valiant's Vale. And this is a two-player, quote-unquote, card game, but this is from WizKids. 
and it has these different uh, hourglass sand timers. So it's turn-based, but it's also real-time. So when you take an action on one of the cards, you'll flip a timer and put it on there. And so it might be the 30-second timer, it might be the 60-second timer, or the two-minute timer. And you'll do it, and you use that effect, and then you can't use it again until, of course, the timer runs out. And while the timer's on there, you can't, of course, put another timer on there. I really love the sound of that style of game. I've not seen anything like that. There may be some other game back in history that used something similar, but that just sounds like a really fun and interesting thing to try. <laughs> and I'm super excited about that. So that's called Wartime, the Battle of Valiant's Vale. So it seems like it's a, you know, kind of like a two-player card game, like maybe in the Magic vibe or Gosu or Battle Line or something. And But it has this cool little timer mechanism on top of that. And number three is Worsindas Volk, the 2 plus 2 expansion. And honestly, I'm most excited about this because it's going to allow Worsindas Volk to play more than two players. That means I can bring it to game night and get folks to play it. Another fellow in my group has it. He's not actually played it. Uh, I've played it five times, just a two-player game, and not really basically played it for a year or so now. And I love it. It might be my favorite sort of Twilight Struggle style game where you have cards and events and actions and all that stuff. Um, it's really cool, really different. It's got a couple little kind of nooks and crannies and rules exceptions that make it really cool and interesting, but maybe it's a little bit barrier of an entry, uh, barrier to entry. But hey, if we can get this and the expansion works and I can play it multiplayer, fantastic. Which is, It just means I'm gonna be able to play where Sundust Volk more. And man, I really recommend that game. I know it can sometimes be hard to come by. Hopefully there's a lot more copies of the base game now that the expansion is coming out. But I recommend folks give this a shot. Like GMT, man, you they gotta pick this one up uh, or somebody's gotta pick it up and just bring it over in, in more readily available. I know it's like the theme of it is the East and West Germany and you know, it's kind of a, I guess, I don't know. It's not super exciting. It's not spaceships and stuff, but uh, yeah, I think this should sell some copies. I mean, I highly recommend uh, this game. It would have been in my game of the year list for that year, but I didn't play it until the next year kind of thing. Like it was, it would have been high up in the list for whatever year it was that it actually came out, which is escaping me. It's so interesting. The mechanics are so good. So that's number three. We're Sindos Volk 2 plus 2. Now number two is Hunt for the Ring. And this is designed by the same folks that did War of the Ring. And this is all about Frodo and uh, the Fellowship, you know, taking the ring. It's a hidden movement kind of deduction game like uh, Fury of Dracula, Spectre Ops, Scotland Yard. It has a real interesting twist where you, it's kind of two games in one where you could play them kind of back to back in a night. Or you can play kind of one half and then you write down kind of where you left off after you finish the first game. I think only if Frodo you know, hasn't been caught yet. Then you flip the board, and then he's gonna travel a little bit further. So you could break it up into two separate nights if you wanted. And I think all you do is just record a couple of very minor things like where how the game ended, and then you flip it over, and you play that side of it. And I don't know for sure, but I think you could just play the second half of it as well. I'm sure they would bake that into the game. So you could just have two different games as well. You play the first side and forget about it, and then with a different group, you play the second side and just start up a whole new game. Really interesting, I like the, the style of genre. I like Spectre Ops a lot. I love Fury of Dracula still. Um, you know, I like Stop Thief a lot. I love Scotland Yard when I was a kid. Uh, and I think this will be one though that I could play with the family because 
you know, we're into Lord of the Rings and stuff, and Fury of Dracula and Spectre Ops was something that I played with the game group. Uh, so I, I think I could play this with the game group too, of course, but immediately the theme of this is going to uh, be accessible to uh, the family. So this will be something that everybody will be excited about. So I'm super excited to kind of break this out and, and do this because uh, Stop Thief has been a big hit uh, across the board too. Um, I mean, mostly it's, it's kind of a family game, but uh, so hopefully this this will be a kind of another game that we can do this because it's really fun uh, to play this kind of game, kind of one versus many. It's got the you know whole Lord of the Rings Hobbit stuff going on. Uh, so I'm really excited for that. And that's number two, Hunt for the Ring. And finally, number one is Gaia Project, otherwise known as Terra Mystica in space. But more importantly, Terra Mystica with a modular board. Now I love Terra Mystica, but it does not absolutely does not work with two players. Three players is shady. <laughs> you need the four and the five players to play that game. So if they can do something with the modular board, grow and shrink the size of the board, uh, you know, do some reinvestigation of how the different abilities work and stuff like that, uh, this should work for two players. Because I would love to play Terra Mystica more than I have, especially recently. I mean, it's been about a year since I played it and I always want to play it um, you know it's just one of those where it just you need four or five players if three players I know I want nothing to do with the three-player Terra Mystica uh, so if this can be something that I can get out and play with two three players um, as well then I think that'll be a lot of fun maybe they'll kind of reinvest into the design I haven't played ever Terra Mystica with the expansion which I understand fixes a couple of the turn order things which yeah, when you get really competitive, that can be a big deal. And once you kind of advance um, to kind of a, you know, the next level player. Um, so, yeah, but uh, hopefully all that kind of stuff is baked into the game. So it does kind of have that more of that replayability built into the base game. So that's my number one Gaia project, Terra Mystica in space. So that is the podcast. Uh, usually I do some kind of like bonus random pop culture thing. And I just want to say that I finally got to eat poutine and I ate it at a nice British pub. I had a nice curry with it <laughs> and I like uh, I like curry of all sorts, but I do especially like uh, curry at a, at a good British pub. Uh, funnily enough, there's a really good uh, British pub in uh, St. Petersburg, Florida, uh, kind of by the bay there that makes really good British curry, you know, whatever that is. But uh, anyway, I had poutine. It was good. It was delicious. I had it there and then I had it like at a fast food restaurant. It was not that good. <laughs> so I think you have to have like nice poutine if that's such a thing. But everybody always posts pictures of poutine or whatever when they go to Canada. I'm like, what is that? Is that French fries? So it's French fries with gravy and cheese curds usually. But you can get like bacon and onions and stuff in it too. Anyway, very, very good. I should not move to Canada because, you know, I will have weight problems <laughs> from eating poutine for the first three months that I live there. So that's it. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. I know it went a little bit longer than I normally do. And definitely look for reviews of, let's see, Azul, Tulip Bubble for sure. Uh, the Expanse, definitely. And then probably Alien Artifacts and stuff like that. And definitely a video about all the games on my shelves and all that stuff. So thank you for listening and watching. And uh, goodbye. Thanks. Thanks.